the minute you make that distinction and you help people to make that distinction, it becomes um, a, a question of wisdom. What does wisdom dictate? You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics, and I'm really glad to be back. If you're following our work, the next couple months are going to be pretty exciting. We'll be announcing a bunch of upcoming events, rolling out some brand new resources, and publishing a new batch of blog articles and podcast episodes, starting with this one. One of the things we'll be doing in this next batch of episodes is introducing you to a few more members of the Christian Civics Executive Board, giving you a chance to hear from more of the people who are steering this ministry. This week, I'll be talking with Pastor Charles Drew. When my co-founder and I first started thinking about the project that ended up becoming the Center for Christian Civics, Pastor Drew was one of the first people we reached out to. He'd been a pastor for several decades at that point and had written an excellent book called Body Broken, Can Republicans and Democrats Sit in the Same Pew? I sat down with Pastor Drew recently to discuss why he got involved with the Center for Christian Civics, what prompted him to first write and teach about Christianity and politics, and where he's seen the church navigate that intersection well throughout his years in ministry. Let's cut to that conversation now, and then we'll come back together for a quick recap and some prayer. There are three churches uh, in the course of my career, one in Charlottesville, Virginia, where UVA is, uh, one in Stony Brook, Long Island, where the State University of New York at Stony Brook is, and then finally in New York City at a church um, which was a daughter church of Redeemer uh, next to Columbia University on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I retired in uh, June of 2017, and uh, presently I do I teach seminarians and uh, I teach continuing ed with pastors, and I. I'm involved in the Center for Christian Civics, and I'm doing some writing, and I'm doing a bunch of preaching. Last year, Danny and I recorded a long conversation about the history of Center for Christian Civics, and one of the things that baffled us was why you got involved with us, and like what um, made you decide, A, on the mission, and B, on this being the outlet for the mission you were going to put yourself behind, because... yeah. I, we were aware of you and your a book you had written on faith and politics that we really um, both loved, uh, but we were fairly new and unproven. Like, what made? Why <laughs> well, on earth did you say yes? Yeah. Well, I got involved with you first of all because you came after me and uh, went out of your way to come to New York and chat with me about what you were aiming to do. And, uh, and as, as we interacted about what you're aiming to do, I uh, felt a, a, a kind of a fire kindled in me, uh, particularly for the part of the ministry which is concerned about helping the church to be a sociological surprise. Uh, um, my book was about that. I, I thought the book, the initial version of the book, was a primer on Christian civic and social responsibility, but what it really was, though it included those things, was a book about how the church manages its own interior life when there are different 
points of view on how to love our neighbors as ourselves. And and in talking with you all uh, and noting what you were concerned about in the church relationship part of what you do, uh, I, it struck me that that's really what I am concerned about. So I was happy uh, to come on board uh, uh, your executive board uh, with the understanding that I would be involved particularly in the church relationship side of, uh, of what you're endeavoring to do. I read the first edition of your book probably 10 years after you wrote it. And it's one of only two books I've ever read that made me think, this was a book I wanted to write. <laughs> and the thing that really caught me by surprise was those topics were starting to seem pretty important to me for the continued life and health and witness of the church after the 2008 election and after the healthcare debates. But you had written it in 97, 98. It was published was, in 98. Yeah, or 2000, I think. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but you had written it at least eight years right. earlier before a big glut of books exploring Christianity and politics from every which angle. Yeah. What first made you, as a pastor, convinced that this was a book you needed to write and that needed yeah. to be written from a pastor's point of view? Yeah. Um, my, what, what drove me to do it was my experience as a pastor. Um, I, 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 was, I was ordained in 1981, and so I was around during the rise of the religious right, and, and I saw a tremendous, two things happening. On the one hand, uh, an excitement um, among Christians that, over the notion that they actually could have influence and that they really should have influence. And then the other thing was, however, along with that came an, a, 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 what I would call a theocratic impulse, uh, this, this idea that influence equals control. And and so there was a, a, uh, I was finding in my own church um, a lot of um, a pressure beginning to mount with reference to that control issue. There were some people who were saying to me, "Charlie, you need to really say something from the pulpit very strongly about X, Y, or Z." And uh, and some other people were reacting against that and saying, "No, no, no, you mustn't." Well, I was having a problem with both. The people who were saying, don't do anything, uh, were the people who didn't have enough of a vision for the fact that Christians need to love their neighbors as, their sel as themselves, need to be salt and light in the culture. They can't just withdraw into pietism. But the people on the other side were making uh, lots of assumptions about, about um, the, what they saw to be the only way in which Christians could express their responsibility. Since you first published it, you did a second edition of it. When you look at your the first edition of your book and you look at the pastors in training that you're teaching now, or you look at where your congregation was in the last months before you retired from the pulpit, where have you seen the church do well? And what do you think uh, we need to be cautious of? I, I think what's been good in the church is a growing engagement with cultural, social, and political responsibility. I think that's good. Um, and uh, uh, there's been a lot of thinking about it, uh, a lot of conversation about it. Um, and and I, I think 
when Jesus says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, he means it. And, and that means we cannot withdraw. So that's good. Uh, where I think, um, where, I, where, I, where I'm concerned is that as that conversation has happened, it, uh, my observation, and it's not, you know, I, I have, don't have hard data on this, but my observation is that the church has tended to fragment more and more um, uh, along political lines so that, so that you have a, a growing uh, um, articulation of a version of a Christian engagement with political life which is progressive, liberal, uh, politically, and a, a part of it in, in reaction to the, the, the stridency coming um, in the articulations from the, the right. And increasingly, what, what to me has seemed to happen is that the church, in its, in its diversity, um, has tended to be indistinguishable from the culture in its diversity and its stridency. Um, either, either there's been churches blowing up or there have been churches self-selecting into one political um, uh, point of view or the other so that, so that it's perfectly safe and okay to talk about politics at church because everybody who's there is going to agree with you. Um, or there's a church, there are churches which are sort of big tents which are trying very hard to stay together and those churches tend to be um, afraid of having conversations with one another. Um, and, uh, and I have felt a, a real need to help churches, especially big tent sort of churches, um, to be less afraid, to find out how they can talk with each other honestly and still have the Lord's Supper together. That to me is, is not just nice. <laughs> That, to me, is strategic for the mission of the church in a polarized culture. You used the phrase earlier, sociological surprise. And anyone who's been to one of our classes or events has probably heard echoes of that in the way we talk about why it's important for local congregations to be politically diverse. But for the vast majority of people listening to this who haven't had the chance to be at one of our events yet— can you explain a little bit more about what you mean when you say that? What do you mean when you say that your writing and preaching on faith and politics came, at least in part, from your desire to see the church be a sociological surprise? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. First of all, the reason why I want it to be that way is because I think that's what Jesus wants. <laughs> I mean, Jesus died to break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. So, so, and that was about as strident a division as you could imagine in the first century. And uh, it's about as, it's more strident, I can imagine, than what we're able to find between Republicans and Democrats. And Jesus' cross broke that down. Jesus' prayers um, are that we should be one, as he and the Father are one, so that the world might know that Jesus is the one whom the Father has sent. In other words, in other words, in a relativistic age where, where everything is up for grabs in terms of who the Messiah is and what religi what's religiously true or not. <laughs> where your sense of identity, where your existential security can come from. Yes. How wonderful it would be <laughs> if, if the people who say they identify with Jesus 
could somehow demonstrate um, a, a, a quality of relationship with one another which was absolutely honest, in which they really did disagree, because people do disagree, and yet safe, so that, so that the sociological surprise could happen. Um, the, it, the pundits, the sociological observers of Christian churches, a political pundits say, I know what Christians are. They're X. They're Y. Um, they're, they're, they're manipulatable along political lines. They're predictable along political lines. And you see, I want the church to, to, to blow that um, view out of the water um, by its ca capacity to manage its differences. Our friend and board chair, Ben O'Dell, has he talked to you about the time during the, I think, 2016 primaries when he pulled into the parking lot of his church and right next to each other in front of him was a car with a Ben Carson bumper sticker and a car with a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker. <laughs> and he had this moment where he says, like, this is example of what it would be great for a church to be able to yeah. be. Yes, yes. Where they're not needing to like deny their enthusiasms or their right. approaches to policy, but right. they can also live shoulder to shoulder, yeah. being robustly who they are. Yeah, yeah. yes. And, and I think people are hungry for this. I, I've done seminars. Um, I've done one with you, but I've also done a number of ones called Turning Down the Political Heat at Church. And in those uh, seminars, I've made the case for for why it needs to be done and I've given why it needs why the politically needs needs to be turned down and I've also uh, given some tools to people to help them to do it and then given them opportunities to do it and over and over and over again the the feedback I get the testimonies I get from people is holy mackerel I never could have believed that I could have had the conversation that I just had uh, I I've been afraid for years to have the sorts of conversations that I just had um, at this seminar. And I am so surprised and so grateful. And when I hear that, I'm, I'm very, very happy. Uh, so, We have only a few minutes left. I have two more questions I wanted to talk about. Uh, one, you were saying that the divide between Jew and Gentile in the time of the New Testament was probably about as big a sociological divide as there is. And part of the goal of the church should be to bridge those kinds of divides now. And while I agree with you, and I'm on board, and obviously you're part of the steering committee for this organization, one question that raises for me is, the divide between Jew and Gentile was a divide of family and ethnicity and religion. Of One was the unique people of God, and the other was the rest of the world that God wasn't working through to bring redemption to everyone. And part of breaking down the divide between Jew and Gentile could be seen as Israel finally completing the training phase of its mission and needing to actually now go into the purpose they were set apart for that God called out when he called Abraham. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. And yeah. dividing that, breaking down that divide was the process of finally metastasizing its blessing and getting to a point where they are now giving that blessing to the rest of the world. Um, whereas the divide between Republican and Democrat could be seen or argued, or a lot of Republicans and Democrats do argue it as a different kind of division, one of morality or one of philosophy or of one of responsibility and some other kind of virtue. If 
someone as a Christian believes very strongly that the Republican platform is more in line with biblical values as they understand it. And they say that, like, this is the more Christian party. Why should I be reconciled yeah. to the people that I think are a less Christian party? Yeah, yeah. How would you respond to them? Right. What I would do is uh, um, help them to make some distinctions, uh, which I talk about in my book. Uh, one of them is between moral principle and political strategy. I think the mistake that people often make on the left and the right, Christian people on the left and the right, is that they equate a particular strategy for nudging the culture in a certain moral direction. They equate that with the moral principle. Um, and, and therefore, if in fact that equation is, is accurate, then to, to deny the political strategy is to deny the moral principle. But I would say no. I think we have to be much more careful in our thinking, much more nuanced in our thinking. And, and we need each other to do this, to, on the left and the right, to help each other to distinguish between when we're talking about a moral principle and when we're talking about a political strategy whose aim is to nudge things in the direction of greater conformity to that principle. The minute you make that distinction and you help people to make that distinction, it becomes um, less uh, a, a battle about God versus the devil. <laughs> it becomes more like a, a question of wisdom. What does wisdom dictate for us uh, to do as we try to, say, reduce abortions or make marriages stronger or deal with problems with the environment? What, what's the, or, or redistribute wealth or give, give freedom to people to exercise their own, uh, their own um, sovereignty over their wealth? You know, how we have to have make conversation. Power, adjudicate power in more just ways. Right, yep. right. And, 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 and the minute, you know, politics and political solutions are, are blunt instruments. And we have to face that. We have to face that. Even the most carefully crafted political solution is always a blunt instrument. It's going to leave things out. It's going to compromise certain moral principles. For so, the sake of overemphasizing others. For the sake of overemphasizing others. And or even appropriately emphasizing some at the sake of others. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And uh, so, so, so you may come away in a conversation with uh, still convinced that um, your particular solution is better, morally speaking, in terms of its moral outcomes, than that of, of another person. But you come away humbly, and because you've had enough humility, hopefully, to, to have a, the nuanced conversation that you have to have. Um, and hopefully, perhaps even, you come away with a solution that neither of you had when you first started talking. And and it and it that can contribute to making, uh, to breaking down the polarizations of the culture and bringing solutions into the culture. I I have high, you know, I'm a realist about the church. I don't think the church is perfect. I don't think church is going to be perfect till the Lord Jesus comes back. But I think the church has the Holy Spirit, and the church has the love, and the church has the wisdom of the Spirit as well as the love of the Spirit. And so there is potential that if churches learn how to how to really talk to each other, if Christians really learn how, they may come up with some political solutions that nobody thought of, which are actually really helpful. Not perfect, but helpful. There are a lot of people who say that like politics is inherently corruptive or that the nature of politics and public life right now is so 
polarized and so toxic that it can't help but have a negative influence on your spiritual health. I want to ask kind of the opposite question right now. What are some of the virtues that it's harder to get access to outside of being a more engaged citizen? Some of the Christian virtues, some of the positive directions of spiritual formation that engaging with politics or government or political life actually make easier for you as a Christian? One virtue is humanization. Um, in other words, in other words, seeing, believing, fully embracing the fact that you're always dealing with creatures made in the image of God. That is a, that's an enormous one. It seems to me that, that the people that we engage with, uh, whether it's across the aisle in church or it's across the aisle in government, are, are, they're, they're made in the image of God. They are not the incarnation of their political positions. And, and, uh, and the Christians need to believe that in their bones. We need, as Christians, to, to, to believe in our bones the notion that the person we're, we're facing, we're talking to across the aisle, is, um, is not the incarnation of his or her particular politics, but is rather a creature made in the image of God, destined for glory, uh, someone who may, we may be together with forever. And, and we need to remember that. I, th I think that's a virtue. That's, a, that's an enormous civic virtue uh, that, that we... Um, uh, what's another virtue? I think another virtue is, uh, is um, um, hope. It, it's hope in, in, in capital H, hope with respect to the, the, the promises of Christ that, that he is ruling now and his rule will be perfected and that um, we're, we're not doing a very perfect job along the way, but we're pressing forward. We're not giving up. Um, we're continuing to learn. We're humbly apologizing. We're doing whatever we need to do um, in order to, uh, to advance things in a good way. Uh, and we, and we, we're able to do that because we have hope. All right, that was my conversation with Pastor Charles Drew. We talked a bit about his book on faith and politics, and I'm excited to let you know that we'll have a new, updated edition of that book made available later this spring. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast or to our mailing list, and you'll hear about it as soon as it's available. One of the things Pastor Drew brought up that I want to take a quick moment to draw out a little more is this idea of the church being a sociological surprise. Since the book of Acts, every major period of church revival has been marked by believers in a particular time and place forming relationships that defy expectations and explanations. Even in cultures that would have been considered quote-unquote Christendom, Revival was still necessary, and it was still marked by the same qualities. Just because our major political ideologies and platforms and parties were developed in a culture that was heavily influenced by Christian traditions and institutions doesn't mean that they're fundamentally sound in light of the gospel. It doesn't mean that conforming to one of them or inhabiting one of them really has anything to do with conforming to the image of Christ, or having our minds renewed day by day. The gospel is good news for people from every tribe, even from the political tribes we don't belong to. 
if we're really going to practice for heaven, as Dr. Kurt Thompson said on this podcast last year, if we're really going to use our lives now as opportunities to live the way we're going to live when the kingdom comes, part of that is going to mean learning to sing Hosanna alongside and in tune with people who currently have very different visions and vocabularies for public life than we have. In this political environment we're in in the U.S., the only way for a Christian to really be fully growing in Christ is to be growing with people from the other side of a political divide. Republicans and Democrats, cynics and idealists, populists and elitists, urban and provincial, a majority and minority culture. Does the cloud of witnesses we're letting shape us look like the cloud of witnesses we're actually going to be surrounded by when the kingdom comes? If not, that's an opportunity to grow. And I actually have a really great chance to learn how to grow that way. On Saturday, April 27th, 2019, we'll be holding our Foundations of Christian Civic Engagement Seminar in Washington, D.C. If you're in the D.C. area, or if the D.C. area is an easy trip for you, please consider attending this workshop. It's a really engaging, really interactive opportunity to work through some of the biggest questions Christians come up against in our rapidly changing political landscape. If you come to this event, you're going to leave with a new understanding of the ways in which your faith affects your politics, and ways that God might be asking you to change the way you think about the public square. You're also going to leave with a very practical set of things you can do to improve your relationship with other Christians who don't share your opinions about government, politics, or the public square. And there are two ways you can join us. Like I said, if you're in the D.C. area, or if you can get to D.C. next weekend, visit christiancivics.org events and register for the full seminar today. You'll get to meet other people who are working through the same questions you are, and the other Christian Civics leaders and I would love to meet you. And if you're not in the D.C. area, follow us on Facebook. We'll live stream a small portion of the seminar that morning or afternoon, probably about 10 to 15 minutes of it, uh, the presentation portion of one topic that we cover. So if you can't make it in, you can at least get a sample of what we're covering and what we're working through. So, Saturday, April 27th, 2019, Foundations of Christian Civic Engagement in Washington, D.C. Register online or follow us on Facebook for the live stream. Now, let's close with a quick word of prayer. Our Lord and King, you carried us into this time and this place on purpose. You've called us as you call people in every time and place to live in contrast to the world around us for the sake of making your promises, your character, and the culture of your kingdom understood. Thank you for the ways in which we still have to get better at this, especially where politics is concerned. Help us to celebrate the fact that we still have so many ways in which we could be doing better, because it means there are still so many opportunities ahead of us to experience your love in new ways, to take in your encouragement more deeply, 
and to see your faithfulness to do what you've promised you would do in our lives, in our communities, and in our world. Help us to turn our churches into bodies where there is no man or woman, Jew or Greek, Carson supporter or Bernie bro, ideologue or cynic, but all are living out your promise that whomever is found in Christ is grafted into the body of a new person, working together to spread your blessing in a broken world until you bring it in full. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the new man you've ordained to institute that kingdom. Amen. All right, that's it for this episode. We'll have a few more episodes coming out soon, but in the meantime, remember to visit our website, christiancivics.org, to register for the Foundations of Christian Civic Engagement Seminar and to learn more about our work empowering the church to be lamps on stands across the political spectrum.